0: Hey, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we're at, Uh, and um, does anybody here like to read out loud? Could somebody read for us, kind of bring us up to speed, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12? Anybody feeling it? Come on, yes, all right, read loud. Okay, it's in the Bible, there you go, you're in the right direction. Yes, chapter 3, 1 through 12. It's on page uh, 1141 on my Bible. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. Would you like an idea? Tell us your name. I'm Kelsey. Kelsey? Hey, everybody. Say hi to Kelsey. You all know her? All right. They all know you now. See? The rest of you are going to go home saying, I should have read. Go ahead. Done. You know what we've been doing is going through Colossians downtown and here And we've really been picking it apart, verse by verse. And the reason that we do that here at Midtown is that we really want you to experience on Sunday morning the unfolding of the Word of God that is powerful, not only on Sunday morning, but it's powerful in our own lives. And that you would begin to practice that in your own life where you'd study scripture and really ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and unfold for you the mysteries of God, of Christ and us, the hope of glory. And what we've been talking about in Colossians is the first couple of chapters Paul is really saying to us, uh, come to grips with who this Jesus is. And then he says, now come to grips with what this Jesus has done. And then chapter 3 is really, how do we respond to this amazing work of Christ? And we've been talking a lot uh, back before Easter about the things that we take off. Paul is really using this clothing analogy, that we're to take off the clothes of the old man. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen What Not to Wear, do you know the names of those people? What are they? Wow, y'all even know the last names. That is remarkable. Stacey and Clinton, all right, I've loved that. Well, what's the first thing they do is they completely humiliate whoever they're trying to help, right? And they bring them into a room and, with a trash can, and they're throwing away all, you know, their, like, green shag carpet jackets and stuff, and just throwing it all away and making fun of it. Gross, 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 gross. Because when they throw it all away, then they do the glorious, which is, here's, here's $5,000. Now, go into New York City and buy a new wardrobe. And let me ask just you guys, how many of you would love having $5,000 and going into New York and buying a whole new wardrobe? How many of you would hate that? Wow. How many of you are present this morning, all right? I can tell you, you know, personally... You know, because this is an imperative, This that that what Paul is saying in here, this isn't, hey, if you guys feel like it, you ought to put on these new clothes in verse 12. this, This is a command that Paul is saying. It's almost like he's commanding you to go shopping. Some of you love that idea. Some of you despise that idea. I personally, I don't like to shop. I find that a very difficult thing for me to do. When I walk into a mall, it's like uh, something gets stuck to me and it sucks all the life out of me. Just, you know, I don't know what it is. Seriously, it must be the lights or the air conditioning or the drugs I take just to walk in. I don't know. But walk in and, you know, but all of us, when we go shopping, there are certain things that we have to consider when we walk in. Things like, what is your style? The things that you would buy, I would walk by and go, no way. You know, the things that I would buy, you would walk by and go, that's pathetic. You know, because what is your style? I mean, who are you? What are you saying about the way that you dress? Maybe you dress in a way that says, I don't say anything about the way that I dress. Guess what? That says something. You know, (laughs) or maybe you have a very specific idea. Like some of you, I wish I could pull off what some of you pull off. I won't tell you an example of that, but... Some of you are bold, and I love that. You have style that just talks about style. Another thing that I think about when I go shopping is budget. How much money do I have to spend? Like, what can I literally spend on that shirt? Like, I'd, some of you, it's remarkable. Like, I could not bring myself sometimes to buy anything that's not on sale, all right? And some of you have this mentality well, I'll buy that shirt, and so I'm going to wear it for four years. Before it goes to Goodwill, so I don't mind spending three hundred dollars on a shirt. Some of you are snickering. Some of you are like, "Yeah, what?" You know, <laughs> your budget. You look at it different ways. Another thing that I think about is purpose. Why am I buying these clothes? Like, is this to you know, is this to dress up, or is this to work in the yard, or is this to play soccer? I mean, what is it that we're buying the clothes for? And then finally, uh, the dreaded thing. Do you know what it is? What is my size? Have I lost weight? Have I gained weight? And you know, what's interesting is that Paul really is answering these questions here. Because before he ever tells us to put something on, look at verse 12 again. He says, therefore, because everything that your life is hidden in Christ, all this stuff in verses 1 through 11, because that is true, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love clothe yourself. It's remarkable because Paul wants us to understand here that there are things that are true about us that we need to take into account before we consider what to put on. The first thing he says is that you are chosen. Now, we don't have time this morning. This sermon is not about predestination. Although it's, uh, it's something that I would encourage you to grapple with. But uh, this, Because this is literally translated, the chosen ones are uh, the elected ones. And I don't want to make this a predestination talk, but what I do want to ask you is to consider this. Wherever you fall out on your views of predestination or not predestination, let's together agree that this word is in here. (laughs) It's there. Whatever it may mean, Paul wants us to know that if we are in Christ this morning, being chosen is a part of your journey. You have been chosen. And what I want us to grapple with that is that we serve an intentional God. Our God, like I like to call, He's a target God. (laughs) He knows his target. I mean, we see it when you go to the Old Testament, Israel. He put his affection on Israel, the smallest and most insignificant of all the tribes and nations, and yet he put his affection on them and he called them his treasured possession. We see it in Moses. Moses was like, Lord, I don't want to be chosen. I don't want your affection. Please go away. God said, no, he's like the holy stalker. He wasn't going anywhere. You know, he's not, I'm here. Deal with it. God chose Moses. We have to deal with that fact. Even when Moses was not choosing God. God chose Abraham. God chose David. We see it. Even when you read the New Testament and you listen to Jesus, Jesus and John chapter 15 looked at his disciples and said, hey guys, just remember this. I chose you. You didn't choose me. It's in there, seriously. And what I want you to grapple with that is this. What do you feel like when you're chosen? Have you ever been chosen? You know, growing up, we've probably all had the experience where at playground, two people are chosen as captains, and they start choosing. Have you ever had that experience? And uh, have you ever had the experience where you were the last one chosen? Am I the only one? You almost be super athletes, all right? Okay, I was a loser. I was about a foot tall in high school, and nobody wanted me to be on their team. Uh, The humiliation, let me tell you what the humiliation is of being the last one. It's not being the last one, okay? That's not the humiliation. It's what comes with being the last one, which is the roll of the eyes, and I guess we'll take him. Oh, I mean, that's just completely saying our team would be better without you, but we have to take you, so come on. But what's great is when our best friends are chosen as a team captain, like our very best friend, and we know that even if I'm the worst athlete on this side of the planet, when my friend, when his turn comes, I'm going to be the first person that he picks. I will not be last. And you know, it has nothing to do with skill. It has everything to do with, if you don't choose me, when we get home, I'm going to hurt you. You know. But the fun and the feelings of being chosen. And Paul is inviting us into the dynamic of that in our hearts. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. He wants you to grapple with the fact that God's intentional toward you. The second thing he says is that we are made holy. His choosing isn't just a choosing that says, Hey, I see you. It's a choosing that moves in, it invades our space, and it transforms us. It turns us from unholy to holy, hagos, to be set apart for his purposes. In Hebrews chapter 10, 10, it says this, And by that will, and this is talking about God's will, get this, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, guys, don't let this jump over. This is not a small thing. We have been made holy. If you're in Christ this morning, you are holy. Did you wake up this morning thinking that? Good morning, Sunday. I am holy. We don't think that way, do we? Yet Paul, in the writers of Hebrews, is saying, you are holy. And get this, because of the work of Christ, his sacrificial work on the cross and his resurrection has performed this miraculous transformation in us. And the last words here are so powerful, you should underline them. Once for all. That's not one for all. That's once for all. Meaning what Jesus has accomplished can never be changed. We've been made holy. And then the third thing he wants us to know before we get dressed is that we're beloved. You know, this. I love that it's beloved, not just, hey, you're loved. Like, you know, God likes you. Do you like God? Circle yes or no. You know, this is, no, you are my dearly beloved. All three of these, that we've been chosen, that we are holy, that we're beloved, they're all in the perfect Passive in Greek. And what that means is perfect, meaning it is finished. It is complete. There is nothing that I can add to the work that we've just talked about. There's nothing I did to receive it. There's nothing I do to change it. There's nothing I can do to add to it. It is finished and it is complete. Passive, well, I'm the recipient of it. Just like Christmas morning, you know, when I'm a little kid. I am a passive recipient of the gifts of my parents. That's beautiful. Because through the power of the resurrection, God chose us, he made us holy, and he has dearly loved us, and that is our size. That is who we are. That is our purpose, and that is how we are to dress. So Paul is saying, now that you have the answer to those questions, let's get dressed in response to the grace of God in your life. So what do we put on? Well, the first thing that he challenges us to put on, well, it's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So let's talk about these for a few minutes before we come to the table. The first one uh, is probably, for me in this list, as I read this interpret, maybe the most powerful. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it doesn't just say compassion. It probably says the bowels of compassion. Does anybody have that? Or if a new English version probably says the heart of compassion. And uh, what Paul is talking about there is that we're not just to be compassionate. We're to allow our hearts to experience compassion. That we are to feel compassion. To have deep felt in our bowels. That's troubling, but true. Compassion. Why? Well, in Exodus 34 we see this picture of God because Moses had just come off Mount Sinai where he got the Ten Commandments. You remember this? and uh, As if you were there. And he comes down and he sees all the people and they're worshiping the golden calf. And Moses is indignant, you know, because they're, you know, they're running around and you know, going crazy and stuff. And he, he throws the Ten Commandments down and shatters them, you know? And so God calls him back up on the mountain and says, okay, let's try this again, Moses. And he says, bring bring some stone with you, you stone breaker. And uh, so he comes up to the mountain, and God decides that he's going to pass in front of Moses at this point. And God is going to do something really interesting here. God is going to declare his name to Moses. Now, if we stop right there and say, what do you think God would say about himself at this moment? I mean, all his chosen people, the people that he rescued from, Egypt, you know, he's brought them out of slavery, and now they're worshiping a golden calf. Veal. What would God say about himself? Listen. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Isn't that beautiful? Paul, when he says, put on the garment of compassion, we are putting on the nature of God that we would become compassionate. Okay, well, let me say this. Let me, let me talk about compassion from this perspective for a minute. Because this is, Putting on this garment absolutely requires you to slow down, Midtown. You have got to slow down. You cannot rush through life checking off your checklist and accomplishing the purposes that you started at the beginning of the day and nurture an intentional heart of compassion. You can't do it. Because I have to stop long enough to allow compassion to grow in my life. Because, get this, it takes time for me to see somebody else. And if I can't see somebody else, I can't have compassion for somebody else. It takes time for me to experience your heart. And if I don't take time to to let you show me your heart, I'm not going to have compassion for that. It takes time for me to listen. If I don't have time to listen to you, and to hear what's going on with you and allow myself to intentionally move towards you in compassion, then I'm not going to experience that. It takes time to care. You may be familiar with a good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. This guy, you know, he's traveling, and these robbers attack him, and they steal everything from him and beat him up and leave him for dead. And all these religious leaders, they walk past him and they leave him on the road, you know, and along comes this Samaritan. And the Bible tells us, through Jesus' story, two things happen. And I want you to hear this for you today. The first thing that happens is he stopped. (laughs) Guys, I cannot even tell you in this world how huge that is. For you to have the discipline to stop. To stop. Stop! (laughs) And the second thing he did is he had compassion on the man that was left for dead. But first he stopped to give himself time to allow his heart to grow compassion for somebody that was in need. To feel his pain, to feel his struggle, to step into the middle of his need. Because here's what compassion does, and it is going to mess up your life if you leave here today and say, I am going to put on the garment of compassion and become a person that intentionally makes room for compassion in my life because it's the nature of God that's working through me, that which pleases him. All right? It's going to mess up your life because it's inconvenient, it's going to cost you, it's slow, it's just messy, because what does compassion do? It steps me into somebody else's story and says, I'll be a player. I'll become a player in somebody else's story. Oh, gee. You ever gone on a mission trip? You know, and you have the mountaintop experience? And maybe you haven't. I mean, whatever you call a mission trip. I, I love those trips because you can unplug the phone. And there's a season, whether it's a week or two weeks, where you can intentionally say, I see what's right in front of me. I am present with the person that's in the van that doesn't have air conditioning and we're driving across Mexico. All right. We there's no place to go. We are present. I get no internet here, all right? And we come away from those experiences and we're changed. And let me say this, okay? You know, there's, there's a guy, if you've ever worshipped at the downtown campus, well, right now it's a war zone. Like, I mean, it's like a, a bad rash. The construction zone's just creeping in on our building. And there's a guy that every, every day, every Sunday, he's out there, and he's selling those homeless papers, you know? So about three weeks ago, I was walking up, and they're everywhere. Like this morning, I was helping these police officers load the body of this homeless guy in the back of a police car. I don't, is he alive? I don't know. But is it, they're just all over the place down there. So it's just easy to walk past him. So I've walked past this guy several times because I'm a pastor, and i got bigger fish to fry. No, and uh, So I'm walking, and he goes, Pastor! 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 He goes, hey, what, what's your name? What's your name? I said, uh, Randy. He goes, yeah, that's right. That's your name. And you know, his teeth are all like, they got layers of crud on them and he's got a beard and he smells and, and he goes, man, he says, would, would you please make an announcement this week? I'm like, here we go. You know, I said, what? He said, the announcement of thanks. He said, since I've started selling my paper out here, he says, the people at Midtown have been buying my papers, and I've gotten enough money to actually rent a house. I live in a house now. And he says, so when I come in, I sneak into the back of the service, and I've been listening to what's going on. God is changing my life. He is changing my life, man. And I praise him, hard times, bad times, whatever. And so this morning I'm walking up, and he's like, Pastor, Pastor, what's your name again? And like, <laughs> he doesn't remember my name. And I, he's like, hey, he says, I, he says, I camp out every week, at least one night a week down at the tent city. I said, I thought you had a house. He said, I do. But all my friends live down there. And I want to go down there and camp with them. I want them to see that they can get out. And I want to pray with them. Would you ever go with me? Mm. Wow. What's happening here? You know, what happened was, and I want you to have this happen to you, the first thing Jason did was had compassion for himself. He acknowledged that his life is hard and that he was struggling and that his journey seemed almost impossible. And he said, That's okay. God, I wait for you to show up. He didn't have it all together. He needed help. And now people are helping him. And now that he, had, he allowed himself to have compassion for himself, guess what happened? He has tremendous compassion for everybody else. It's remarkable. Okay, so if I'm going to take the time to be compassionate, if I'm going to put on that garment because of who I am in Christ, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm beloved, so I'm going to put on that compassion, man, then when we do that, compassion never sits still. It always moves in action. The first place it goes is kindness. (laughs) Mother Teresa said, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face Kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. Hmm. When we extend our lives to other people and we step into their story, it's almost impossible not to be kind. Have you ever watched the Olympics? You know, and like the Winter Olympics. You know, they're up at the gate and they're the downhill run and it's Sven from Svenville. You know, like we don't even know who this is. You know, he's wearing a funny costume and we're getting ready to change the channel and then ABCs goes, "Let's go behind the story." and now it goes to this story of it chases Sven Schwinn into Svenville you know and we find out that Sven you know is poor and hungry and he grew up in the desert and uh you know, he dreamed all his life of snow and he learned how to ski on two by fours on the dunes behind his house There's a, you know it's a tragic like crazy story you know what i'm talking about And so we're just, we're hooked. We're like drawn in. It's just so unfair, you know? So when they come back to Sven, you know, and he's shaking a little bit because here's his dream realized and his mother back home, you know, their goat died. And, you know, he's, if he doesn't win today, they're all going to be imprisoned or something, you know? That when you come back to Sven, you're like, Sven, you can do it, you know? We're just, isn't it true? Like when I, when I hear your story, I, I step in with kindness because I'm already moved by compassion because the Lord is present with me. And let me tell you, when, when you get hooked on that, when you get hooked on kindness, it messes you up. It messed up John Wesley. He said this. He says, when we start to experience kindness by giving it, we start to believe these words, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Well stuck right in the middle of these five garments that uh, actually are one piece that Paul is telling us to put together is humility. And I think he sticks this in here because he wants us to remember who we are. That when we are showing compassion And when we're kindness, we cannot forget what he said in 1 Corinthians. Because he's talking about you guys. Brother, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose, that word chose all over there, isn't it? He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become our wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now the reason that we have to be humble about this and let me just say this. Let me just admit this. Are any of you ever afraid to step into the story of somebody else's life? I mean, honestly, yeah. It, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When you see that person that you, you, you kind of know their name, but you, you don't, your story and their story is really not, you know, they're not meshed. And you see them and you go, hey, how you doing? And they go, yeah, I'm doing good. Ho. Oh. Red flags. What are they saying? Please, God, ask me what's going on. Please step in. Please. And have you ever done this? Oh, well, great. Great to hear that. All right, see you. Yeah. Why do we do that? Humility is not believing falsely about ourselves and thinking that if we got into somebody's story, we have nothing to contribute. That, that's false humility. Humility is understanding who we are. Or better yet, whose we are. And where we go, he goes. That gives us courage and boldness that we may not know what to say, that's okay. We may not know what to do, guess what, that's okay. All we may be able to do is just to be present there and look at somebody and say, I care. That is awesome. But if we lose sight of who we are and whose we are, right in the middle of this, we back away from the amazing journey of stepping in. So when we step back in in that humbleness, we're to do it gently. This actual word is meekness, which is not weakness. Meekness is actually great strength under power. And it takes time to be gentle with somebody. Any of y'all see the NCAA tournament? <laughs> all right. Glad I have y'all captivated by my sermon, you know? Good Lord, how much longer is he going? There was a scene where West Virginia was playing Duke. Now, you got to understand something about West Virginia. They have a coach who is often referred to as the coal miner coach. That he's hard, he's rugged, he's known for just being crass and brutal, and just, you know, just brutal, and just... His language is foul, and just, you know, he's always under criticism. Bob Huggins. But in that game, one of his players actually blew out their knee. One of his key players blew out their knee about halfway through the game. And he's laying on the ground, and he's flipping back and forth, you know, and in pain. And this coach, Coach Huggins, comes out on the floor. He doesn't stand at a distance. Uh, He doesn't put his hands on his shoulder and look back at the team and try to figure out what he's going to do. He gets down on the floor with this kid and lays on the floor and places that kid's face right in front of his face. They're like this close, and he begins to whisper to him. Isn't that beautiful? And what, there were two things about that scene that just deeply moved me. The first was it was like, like all the thousands of people in that stadium they're they're playing to get into the final game of the championship, like all of that just kind of went away. And he took all the time he wanted to sit there and hold this kid who had played ball for him for four years, whose now career was over, and he was whispering to this kid to speak into his life. It was almost, it's almost the game doesn't matter. Everybody was waiting. But that wasn't the thing that moved me the most. The thing that moved me the most was his thumb. Did you see that? This rough, tough, rugged coal miner. When he's talking to the kid, he is taking his thumb and he's caressing the side of this kid's head like that the whole time he's talking. That's gentleness. Because let me say this to you guys. If you're walking in the the fact that you're chosen, that you're holy, that you're a beloved, and then you say, I'm going to intentionally make room in my life to be compassionate. God is going to take you into places where people are going to open their souls up to you. And when they do, it is holy ground. Trust me, it is holy ground. You better take your shoes off. Because when you walk in, you better be gentle. Because if you're stepping into a place that needs compassion, you're walking into a room that's sunburned. No one takes aloe and slaps it onto somebody's back. Well, maybe if you're on a guy's weekend at the beach, all right? But what do we do? When, when we're really sunburned, we, we put it on so gently because we know even the medicine that cures that would hurt us can create so much pain. Isn't it true? So Paul is saying to us, and walk in gentleness. Listen to Philippians chapter four, because I love this. It's another passage from Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I love how he repeated it. You liked how I said that? I'll say it again there. <laughs> rejoice. And then he says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, gentleness ought to ooze out of your ears to where everybody can see it. That's how we should walk. Hmm. and then finally patience let me close with this all I'm gonna say about patience is this uh, if, if you're gonna walk into that world you better be patient because love is never efficient it's always effective but it's never efficient it takes time doesn't it? it takes time to heal wounds it takes time to trust it takes time to recover Amen. We are the glory bearers, aren't we? Chosen, holy, beloved. Christ says we are the light of the world. And we come into people's lives kindness, gentleness, and patience. So let me ask you this Will you slow down? Will you believe what Paul said about you enough to put on the clothing of intentional compassion? Would you do that? Would you slow down and say, God, give me eyes to see? Let me see the stories that you're causing me to care about in my life right now. Because here, let me just give you this little last thing and then we'll come to the table. God is like the ultimate jujitsu master. I'm just telling you because he does these, like, go do it. He says, like, go, go be compassionate. But he knows that when we, when we show compassion to somebody, it's like, wah, you know, it's like, judo and we end up getting more out of it than we ever gave it's like we end up understanding god's compassion toward us more than we ever give compassion to somebody else so god's like yeah go do it go do it go do it and what does he know is going to happen that we're going to walk away going wow lord i am i'm at your gentleness your kindness to me your compassion your kindness leads me to repentance man i'm just woo. you know he knows that's going to happen and so he is jealous to reveal himself to us and he is saying, "You ought to become like you ought to become like like the hungerer for his presence." That was a bad way to put. It. I'll think of a better word like two hours from now. All right, but for now, let me explain it to you. About three no, this is about eight years ago. I was in Jamaica with a group of folks, and we were on a mission trip, and we were working at the SOS Johnny Cash orphanage. <laughs> I could, go figure, you know. Johnny was over in the corner playing the whole time we were working with kids. It was weird. No, he won. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of cool. And so every day we'd go out on the soccer field and these kids knew we were there and they just started coming. And like every day more kids would come and it just kept growing and growing and growing. But from day one, this little two-year-old kid that was bow-legged would, would come running out on the soccer field. Like little bitty, like could hardly talk, just two years old. Just legs were, you know, just like that. And he'd come running out in nothing but a diaper. We never saw a mom. We never saw a dad. None of the kids knew who he was. Nobody knew where he came from. No one knew where he went when the program was over. He just kind of disappeared into the woods. And you're like, what is that about? So about the third day, he comes running out like usual. You know, And by this time, we're all... Man, you know, the first day we were hard. You know, like, these kids aren't going to get to me. And by the third day, you know, you're just melting. I just love to take you home. And so here comes little junior. You know, he's running out on the car. And this time his diaper is dragging behind him (laughs) because it's loaded. (laughs) Like, I can say a lot of things, but let me tell you, it was bad. We could smell him on the other end of the soccer field. So when he got up in the crowd, everybody gives him lots of room and all of the people on our mission team turn to me and go, "You're the leader. You change him." I'm like, I turn to my staff and go, "You change him, or you're fired." They said, "Great, we quit." It was bad. So I take, I, I, you know, okay. So I take him to the bathroom, and I, and it's just like, ah. Oh. I put him in the sink. And my plan is just to hose him down, you know, just turn the water and let it run. And it was really bad, guys. I mean, it was just like, it was all over him. And if you've had kids, you know, you've been there, you know, just the explosion of stuff. If you've never had children, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But if God wants to sanctify you, one day you'll know. And so I'm gagging and, and I'm literally, I'm gagging and I'm, So I leave, and I go stand outside, and I can kind of see him in the sink because I don't want him to fall out of the sink. But I had to breathe. And I walk out, and I was like, God, I don't want to do this. Like, this is not my idea of, you know, the journey. And, man, that's when the Lord just, boom. And what did he do? Man, it was like the Holy Spirit said, when you have done this unto the least of these you have done to me, go wash me. And I said, oh. it wrecked me. And I'm telling you, I am not joking. I went back in there. I wasn't gagging anymore. This was worship now. I mean, it was holy ground. Because I realized the Lord had called me in here now. And I'm coming to his service to wash this child. And as I'm washing this child, the Lord said, behold what I've done for you. For I found you in the middle of your crap. I chose you. When no one else would chose you and you had no place to go, I went and found you. I cleaned you. I made you holy. And I have held you up to the world and I have said, Behold my son. He is my beloved. Man, I was just crying. Just weeping as the Lord was doing his whole judo thing. I mean, you came in to show compassion even when you don't want to, but... Man, I have exploded the reality of me in your life. So, will you clothe yourself, Midtown? Will you dare to believe who you are and clothe yourself in the glorious robes of the character of God through Christ in your life and make room to be compassionate?